Well, thank you for being here this morning. Good to see all of you. I would invite you to turn, please, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. We are continuing our study of the book of Acts, and as we are doing that, we're slowing down a little bit here over these next couple of weeks just to take a closer look at what I have entitled the heart and focus of the church that we see here in Acts 2, 42 to 47. As I mentioned last time, this is one of six summary statements that Luke gives in the book of Acts, and this is the longest one that he actually makes. And it's giving to us the activities of the, these early believers in Jesus Christ as they were his followers. And we do well to not only know what these early believers did, but to seek by God's grace and the enabling of the Holy Spirit to follow in their steps. Um, we've seen here uh, in this passage that uh, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And notice the outcome of, of this uh, life that these believers were living together under the Lordship of Christ. Verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And when you, when you read about this, this sharing, this togetherness, this gladness, this joy, this generosity, this love, this praise of God, this favor that was seen and given by outsiders and their growth, doesn't that just... Uh, cause you as a, as a follower of Christ and being part of his church to say, Lord, do that again. Do it again here in our midst. May, may it be said of us that these same characteristics and these traits and these activities and this, this undertaking is the same among us um, as your believing people. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a church that looks like this? I contrast that with the opening words of an article written by Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis, where he starts his article by saying, division, conflict, and chaos. Those three words describe the culture and the church in the Western world. Would you agree that that's not only true of our culture, but in a lot of Context, it's true also of the church. Um, you know, God gave us uh, this uh, book of Acts so that you and I can, can understand what the church is to be uh, and to do. It, it's the history of what we call the history of the early church or the beginnings of the church. 
But as I've said before, as believing people, we're still in the book of Acts. The book of Acts has not finished yet. God is still building his church through the proclamation of the gospel and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We're still in the book of Acts. So if you and I want to be the Christians God calls us to be, if we want to be the church God is calling us to be, then we need to go back to what he said and seek by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to put into practice (coughs) the very same things that are written in God's word. And last time we saw in Acts 2.42 that these believers were devoted. Can can I put that in sort of a modern term? They were all in. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? Being all in on something. All in, that means you're giving your whole self to this. They were devoted, and notice this, to the apostles' teaching. We saw last time that they gave themselves fully to, to study, understand, and then to apply to live out the word of God. And this included the teachings of Jesus. It included the gospel message. It included the, in the Old Testament. It really included the entirety of God's word. And for the church to be strong and to be effective and to be impactful for Jesus' sake, we must be, as I've said last time, rooted and grounded in the word of God, which is the final authority of all matters of faith and practice. Unfortunately, we live in a day in which, though many Christians might know bits and pieces of the Word of God, sadly, we are so biblically uh, illiterate. But that's not all. The church is not only a Bible study or opening God's Word together. While that is first and foremost, and it's what heads the list, there is more to the Christian life than just you knowing what the Bible says. It's also putting it into practice in our lives. And the church is made up of redeemed people who allow the Word of God to transform them. In other words, to put the Word of God into practice. And we see here that out of this devotion, out of this being all in in the apostles' doctrine, what flows out of it next here in this list is the fellowship. The fellowship. Now, before you yawn, or before you say, well, I know all about that, let's be sure we're all clear about what the Bible means when it speaks of fellowship. So what does it mean? What does it mean? What does fellowship mean? The, the word here that's, that's, that Luke uses is a Greek word, koinonia. Have you heard that before? Yeah. You probably have. Koinonia. At its root, koinos just means common. Something that is common uh, to everyone. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the New Testament was written in koine Greek which means common Greek. It was the common language that was, was part of the, the, the then known world. Uh, koinonia means an association and a close relationship. It also has with it the idea of a partnership, a sharing together, a common purpose. We, we could probably summarize it by saying that it, it's the idea of community. In sharing together, Uh, in a common purpose. In fact, togetherness was part of this koinonia. Did you notice even in our passage that we read that they were 
Verse 44, all the believers were together. You know, we just came through a, a pandemic that did not allow us to, to be together physically. And even though we were separated physically, we were still together, if you would, in spirit. And God's intention and purpose is for believers to be together and to do life together. There's a togetherness. And notice this, it was not uh, just there in verse 44. They also, verse 46, were day by day attending the temple together. They were going there for times of prayer. Times to to be together as God's people. And if you go over to chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, you see here it says, again, another one of those summary verses. Now many signs and wonders were were regularly done through uh, among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. This one part of the temple, they came together and gathered in Jesus' name to receive instruction, but also to have that koinonia, that that sharing together around the things of Christ. Alfred Barnes, in his commentary, written back in the 1800s, says that it was a mutual participation with each other in both social as well as sacramental activities. You see hereby even this greater context that they shared meals together. We're going to see more about that next time, that idea of the breaking of bread and all that that means. But they they shared meals together. They they did life together. They they came together and they worshipped. But they also came together for service, to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, And there was this togetherness that was seen uh, among them. And it was a sharing together around the things of Christ. Uh, and as I said, it's, it could be summarized in doing life together. Doing life together. And why were they together? Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think about the church for a moment. Think about the diversity that's in the church. Not just here in this local congregation of varied backgrounds that we come from, but think about the church in the broader context of the church worldwide and the various cultures and and backgrounds and languages that are all brought together in common together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, through the gospel being proclaimed, is still calling out from among all the nations a people for his name. And that is the church. And you and I are privileged by the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ to be part of the church. I find it interesting that uh, as you read this summary passage, that it was more than just them coming together on a Sunday morning. In fact, Warren Wiersbe writes these words. The Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily, Acts 2.46. They cared daily, Acts 6.1. They won souls daily, 2.47. They searched the scriptures daily, Acts 17.11. And they increased in number daily, Acts 16.5. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them and his resurrection power was at work through their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
you know, it could be uh, seen here that this type of togetherness uh, and this type of idea is found elsewhere in Scripture where this word is used. In Galatians 2 and verse 9, Paul talks about receiving from the apostles the right hand of fellowship. And it's in the context of the ministry that Paul and Barnabas had. You know what the right hand of fellowship indicates to you and me? Among believers, there was acceptance. There was an acceptance. There was an affirmation that God was not only at work in the apostles, but was in work in each one of you. That's the right hand of fellowship. We do that when we welcome members into the church. We extend to them the right hand of fellowship, which is by saying to them, we accept you and we affirm God's work in your life. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul talks about the Philippians and their partnership, their koinonia, their fellowship in the gospel. And it, what Paul was saying in that is that through your participation, through our togetherness, you are actually supporting the gospel in its work and going out, but you're also participating in it. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 that believers are to love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. That means that we are to love the family of believers. That means that there is an active love and care and concern for one another as followers of Christ. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9, Peter says, resist the devil because he's coming after you, and as a result, there is suffering that takes place. And he says, you likewise are sharing in that suffering. Did you know that that speaks of empathy with believers who are going through difficult times in their personal lives and because of being followers of Jesus Christ? You know, on Wednesday night when we get together to pray, one of the things that it's part of the prayer packet is the voice of the martyrs. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read some of those. Sometimes they're words of praise in what God is doing. There, there are so many times, and, and those who are participate on Wednesday night, you're all welcome to come for that, you know. Those who participate on Wednesday night over and over again have heard of people who have lost literally everything because they name the name of Jesus and they're a Christ follower. They've lost their family. They've lost their homes. Sometimes they've lost their jobs. Sometimes they've been displaced and put into other communities as a result of naming the name of Jesus. And lo and behold, those believing people, those brothers and sisters in Christ that are a part of the church, the same church that you and I are a part of, say, I would not turn my back on Christ no matter what because I know that I have life in him. And you hear that over and over and over again. So what's included in fellowship? So what's included in fellowship? Certainly there's this acceptance, this affirmation, this support of the gospel work and participation in it. There's active love, there's active care, there's empathy. Well, fellowship includes, first, a relationship to Jesus Christ. That a person to, to enter into the fellowship that's described in the church has to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? Have you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Has he forgiven all your sins? Has he, by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection, made you right with God? If he has, then you are part of the church. That's the starting point. 
But secondly, it's not only a relationship to Christ, it's a relationship to each other. It's a sharing with each other. It's a togetherness. It's a common goal of knowing and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It is participating uh, with one another. You know, one of the images that the Apostle Paul uses concerning the church is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says that the church is known as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And just as your body and my body has all these different parts and organs and each one has a unique purpose and function, so it is true with the spiritual body of Christ. God has given each believer a unique place and gifting and ability in the body of Christ that you might share it for the common good of the body as a whole. God never gives his gifts out to me or to you so that it just becomes something that's just for me. It's something to be used in connection with the body of Christ. And Paul says this phrase over and over again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the common good. For the common good. And the body is to work together, to contribute together, to participate together, to function together uh, as they relate to Jesus Christ and relate to the whole. Now, notice uh, last time I, we handed out to you this uh, vision statement uh, based on the, the statement of faith. And I was trying to figure out what we can call this little thing. And, and the first one was the statement of faith. Uh, and so maybe the second one that I sh shared with you from the vision team should be called the statement of... Perp of, of, of uh... Now, what was it? My mind went blank. Sorry. Statement of faith, statement of, there it is, practice. I knew it started with a P. Because after all, the word of God is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice, what we do. Now, uh, you'll recall that the overall purpose of our church, as it's on the screen, uh, our purpose is to know and experience the living God through Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures and to make Christ known in our community and throughout the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. If you ever wonder what Faith Alliance Church is to be about, that's it in a summary statement. But then you look at what we believe in our doctrinal, in our statement of faith, how does that look in practice? Well, notice what we have under the heading of the church. I trust that you have these with your Bible so that you can refer to these. Uh, and if you need more of those, let us know. We'll, we'll make sure you get one. But notice this. Under the heading of the church, here's how we summarized the statement of faith on the church. We believe all Jesus' followers united under Christ comprise the church. Therefore, we will engage in his work and develop community. You see how it's, it's a togetherness that's there? And how are we going to do that? By using our spiritual gifts as we come alongside other believers inside and outside Faith Alliance Church and by providing fellowship and accountability. Do you see how the, the church is called not only to know Jesus Christ, but to interact uh, with one another? You know, Scripture is the best commentary on itself. If you ever want to know what something means, 
become familiar with this book, and this book will comment on itself to give you further insight. And uh, I took the time this past week as I was thinking about this message and this idea of sharing together, participating together, being together. And lo and behold, I remember doing a series long time ago, I think at one of my first churches, on the one another passages that you find in Scripture. And I, I think I counted up at that time, there were maybe a dozen, maybe 15. I went through the Scriptures this week and found out that there were none, none less than 68 one another passages. Now, when you look at that, one another means that we are interacting with one another according to the way the Scripture commands us to live, instructs us to live, expects us to live. Now, I'm not going to this morning, so put your mind at ease. I'm not going to go through all 68 of them. But let me give you a sample, a sample of them. They're one another passages. Sometimes they're translated in Scripture, each other. So depending on your translation, you might see it put in those terms. Or to another. And they are meant to teach God's people how to function, how to act, how to behave as Christ followers in relationship uh, to one another. Probably one of the most familiar of these, and where we start this morning, is in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, look with me at verse 34. Jesus is speaking and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus says to me and says to you, the starting point of all this is having a love for one another. What type of love is that? Just as I have loved you. Wow. Anybody else say, Lord, I need help? You're getting started? I would agree. Me, me, me too. Jesus says, here, you're to love one another as I have loved you. And this is how you're going to, to demonstrate to a world that you've been saved by God through Jesus Christ. This is going to be one of those distinguishing marks as a Christ follower that you're going to have. You're going to have a love for one another. And I may have said this before, that in one sense... We, as the body of Christ in this local expression, this is the testing ground of God's love that we're to demonstrate towards one another. Because if we can't love one another, how can we possibly love a world that needs Jesus Christ and is, in many ways, maybe very different from us? We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Paul says in Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us? And so you look at that first command and you say to yourself, there's no way I can live that way. Exactly, you can't. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you yield to Him, God gives you through the Holy Spirit the capacity, the ability to love one another. And the more that you are filled with the Spirit of God, the more that that love will be manifest through you as a Christ follower. 
The Apostle Paul says in Romans, another one of these passages, these one another's, Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Jump ahead to Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. We read these words. We are all members of one another. Members of one another. Again, that idea of, of us being a body and that we are connected with one another. Um, you've probably heard the old story being told about you know, uh, certain particular groups that are very closed as believers. Uh, and uh, when, when we all get to heaven uh, one day, you know, that uh, you know, there will be this group and this group and this group and they'll all be together and interacting with one another. And all of a sudden, there'll be a group over here that's all by themselves. And, they'll say, and somebody will say, what's with those believers? Uh, and and the, the response will come, well, they think they're the only ones in heaven. You know, some people act that way, that they're the only ones. But you are connected. You are members of one another through Jesus Christ. And you're not only connected to this fellowship, you're connected to every other fellowship of believing people in this valley that name the name of Jesus and follow him in faith. You're also connected with the entirety of the body of Christ worldwide. And you're not only connected with the body of Christ worldwide that's still present here, you're also part of that connection of the church universal that's already in heaven. You're part of the company of God's redeemed people. We're members of one another. Notice what Rome, uh, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. This is said in a negative context. Therefore, verse 13 of Romans 14, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Stop passing judgment on one another, the NIV says. Isn't that one of the criticisms sometimes of the local church and believers? They're so judgmental. Now granted, some of that is a misunderstanding that we take a stand against sin and it ought to be pointed out. It ought to be forsaken. But what about even among believing people? I don't know that it's the history of this church, and I wouldn't expect it to be, but I've actually heard people get upset because when they were in the middle of a building program, somebody picked blue pews over green pews, and they left the church because they didn't get their way. Over something simple as that? Seriously? Now, we don't even have pews, so that's okay. <laughs> But stop passing judgment on one another. And you know, sometimes we as believing people mean well by what we say and share with a fellow brother or sister in Christ, but it's misinterpreted the wrong way. So, so let's, let's develop, if it's not already there in our Christian lives and walk, that if something does offend us, we don't allow that to just sit there and fester sometimes for weeks, for months, for years. One of the churches that I served, there were two people that did not talk to one another. They're part of the same church, and I, I had some background information on what was going on. Something happened in the past, years ago, and these two people would, not, would make sure one was out of the building before the other one left because they didn't want to interact with one another. That's not functioning as the body of Christ, and in fact, it becomes a stumbling block. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25 says that we are to show equal concern for one another. 
We are to show the same concern for one another. If that's not enough to help us, maybe Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, which means compassionate, and forgiving each other. And you want to know how we are to forgive? We are to forgive according to Colossians 3.13, even as God in Christ hath forgiven you. You say, I could never forgive that person for what they did. You can't. But the Spirit of God transforming your heart and your life can enable you to do that. And you can give genuine forgiveness in Jesus' name. Colossians 3.16 tells us that believing people are to be teaching and admonishing one another. Did you know that I'm not the only teacher in this church? And our Sunday school teachers are not the only teachers in this church. Every single one of you have the opportunity to teach and to speak into someone's life the truth and reality of Jesus Christ. And you can admonish someone else. You can encourage someone else. You can teach them something about their walk with God if we're willing to all be learners. Because we're following Christ. We're not following a pastor. We're not following elders. We're not following, we're following Christ together. That's part of koinonia. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another, build each other up. And verse 13 says, be at peace with one another and do good to one another. Aren't those great exhortations? I mean, read them over again. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I hope you're jotting these down. We could all say yay and amen and forget about this and say, what did he say about fellowship? You know, they tell us that you remember only 10% of a sermon. Every time I preach, you only remember 10%. And of that 10%, you probably only put into practice 3%. How we need the Spirit of God to really infuse us with the reality of Jesus Christ and the Word of God so that we live out his truth. Also, one last one, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 14. We're to greet one another with a kiss of love. With a holy kiss. I grew up in a church where the culture, being a formal high church, when the various priests would come and the bishop would come, like you see in the, the, the Middle Eastern countries, countries the, 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 the priest would kiss each other on the cheeks on both sides. That, that, was, that was a sign that they were, they were showing and demonstrating love. Remember, Jesus said to Judas, you're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss. It's meant to show love. It's meant to show a connectedness. It's meant to show an intimacy, if you would. Not in any sexual sense, but an intimacy. And over and over again, that command, by the way, is repeated several times over. It's one of the 68 that's repeated. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And I know some of us are not as, as, as visible in terms of our expression of love, but it's to be expressed in some tangible way. Maybe a holy handshake would be better, you know? Or maybe an air kiss if you're still a little bit careful about who you're around, you know, sort of, you know. Ask Emily about that. She, she, she can model that for you, so... But what does this require of me and you? What does this require of me and you? Well, first of all, as we've already seen in this list, that it requires a devotion 
and a commitment to God's holy word. We have to allow the word of God to be that which informs us, instructs us on how we as believing people are to live. As I said to you last time, we can't let the world teach us theology. And we can't let the world be the commentator on this book or the commentator on what the church should be doing or shouldn't be doing. We take our instructions from the head of the church, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he instruct us? Through the word. But you know, there has to be a commitment to the word of God. And we could say yay and amen to that, and that's the starting point. But secondly, there has to be a commitment to the fellowship. Now, I didn't highlight that fact, but in the Greek, it's actually the fellowship. It's not just fellowship in general. It's the fellowship. What fellowship are you talking about? The one that's only possible through Jesus Christ. And you and I have to be committed to the fellowship, which means being committed to one another. It can't be something that we're committed to just as fair-weather friends. As long as the sun is shining and things are good, I'm in. But if things get rocky, if things get difficult, if things are a challenge, I'm out of here. That's not the church. And sometimes God does bring a church through difficult times in order to strengthen, in order to help, in order to teach, just as he does in our individual lives. So my question to you this morning first is, are you committed to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you don't know him first and foremost, personally, in your heart and in that saving way, then you're not part of the church. Oh, you may come to a church, you may participate even in a church, but you're really not part of those whom God has redeemed yet. You need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Coming to church makes you no more a Christian than sitting in your garage makes you a car. You've heard that before, haven't you? So you need, first and foremost, to know Christ. Secondly, are you committed to his church, to your fellow believers? John Wesley made this comment. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. I thought that was kind of interesting. And as I've said, sometimes it's very challenging. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's even messy being together as God's people. But we have the word of God, we have prayer, we have the fullness of his spirit to enable us to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Are you committed? Will you participate? One last passage, John 13. Here's where the Lord would have all of us to be in relationship to one another. Look at John 13 with me. At verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, lay aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, 
What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now notice verse 12. When he, had fin- when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here's one of those one another's, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Now, read on. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Last verse, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As you think about our Lord taking the place of a servant in this context, I ask you to ponder and meditate upon his words but also give attention to this closing song and video. Show us. 
to be the servant God has called you to be through Jesus Christ and to serve one another in love to take up a a basin to take a towel to wash a brother or sister's feet maybe not in a literal sense but to come alongside of them to help them in their walk with God to stand with them in their difficulties and in their trials and then in turn to, to demonstrate and emulate that and exemplify that in a world that it's all about me. And yet Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, took the lowest place, the form of a servant, and washed his disciples' feet. You know, we're, it, it doesn't tell us in John's gospel, but you know what was happening among the disciples? When Jesus did that act, they were arguing with one another. Luke tells us about who, which one of them would be greatest in the kingdom. And it was then that Jesus took off his outer garment, put on a towel, and washed his disciples' feet. That's what God desires among his people and through his people in the fellowship of the saints. Would you commit yourself to him to that end? Would you stand, please? I'm going to pray and then receive this benediction. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you take the likes of us. You redeem us, Lord. You make us your very own. And then you put within us a, a purpose and a life and a reality that is not our own, your very own. That through us, Father, we might be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another and to a world that's around us that needs you. Father, may you fill each of us with your Holy Spirit afresh. And may you, O oh Lord, guide and direct each of us individually 
and as a corporate body to serve you and to carry out your purposes as we interact with one another and with those around us. And may the result be, Father, that we would see, even at that summary passage at the end of Acts, that the Lord is adding to his church daily those who were being saved. May you do that, Lord, here in our midst and in the churches within this valley to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and extend your kingdom. And may you use us in part, Lord, to that end. To that end, we give ourselves once again to you, Lord. May your blessing rest upon your people, and we ask all these things for the glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.